Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Happy Thursday, everyone. If you're listening to this on a Thursday, you're listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, everybody? Austin, what's new, man? Kind of want to, I want to point this towards you this time. Me? Sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I ramble. I always start off, you know, yeah. switch things up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's new with you? Uh, so, okay, so we, we listed our property um, in Chesley, the flip, um, good profit margin expectations. Let's see what actually happens. But we listed it. We had a bunch of showings on day one. And then there were fucking, there was rat droppings in the house, bro. We like fully gutted, renovated this house. And there was like two rat droppings, one on the windowsill and one on the bed. And the, and a realtor told our, our, our thing that, our, our realtor that. And so we were like, fuck. So now we have to take it down. Got to get pest control in there. Figure out if there's actually rats or if someone's fucking with us here. Right. But like, this was not a good start to our listing experience here. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully that thing gets sold and it gets done with. Um looking at the renovation budgets on my nine plagues and man, like numbers have started to get high. Like it's crazy. Like just our hallway renovation is looking like it's going to be like 20 grand. I'm like, shit, didn't see that coming. <laughs> but I mean, it's part of the learning experience, but um, that's really all that's the, all that's new on my end. The mortgage world is, it's surprising. Like I thought, I, th- I think things did cool down a little bit over the summer, but like things are definitely picking up again. People are buying some crazy shit. Um, a lot of people are looking at Sault Ste. Marie, man. I think it's a it's an interesting market. The the purchase price to rent ratios um, are really good. I have clients that are buying houses at like $110,000, $120,000 for a house, and they're going to be renting it out for like sixteen to $1,800 and stuff like that. Um, so it's definitely an interesting market. Peak my interest, just sharing it with everyone on this on this podcast. Me and Austin have talked about this before. We're literally, it's not that hard to pump up an entire market. If 50 people decide to buy in a market together, like you could completely significantly sway the buyer demand in that local market, right? Like it's pretty crazy, but pump and dump. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, I I was taking a look at that market as well. Thunder Bay. Um, the main issue I've heard there is, is that the rental cost. And I was speaking to someone who actually typically buys in Windsor and decided to buy a property in Thunder Bay because the cash flow was pretty decent. Yeah. Is, is that like his rental cost was probably like 40% higher than what he's used to paying. Um, and so the appraisal values are usually the tough thing as well. Right. So you're spending money on these rental costs. Uh, but are you able to really burr the money out? Um, cause the cash flow is solid, but I mean, nothing changes from a rental perspective. So your appraisal just needs to justify it. So you need to find even better deals, which is definitely possible given that I don't think much marketing material does go out there. It's relatively unscathed by most wholesalers. And so there is opportunity to probably find off-market deals there. Um, so if you guys are looking at those markets, I would definitely suggest putting out your own mailers before we start doing it, which is probably going to be pretty soon. <laughs> I'd imagine the fees that you can get as well. Like when you're dealing with like a lower price point as well, like a hundred, let's just call it like 150K a house. Even if you lock it up at like 120, there's a cap on how big of a fee a wholesaler can really make, which I think might have um, impacted other wholesale or prevented other wholesalers from really considering it that strongly. Right. Cause like your mailing costs and your flyer costs and your marketing is all relatively going to be the same anyways. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then now you're, you're adding in the element of taking photos of the place, yeah. walkthroughs, like all of those are going to be pretty difficult. Most of your out of town investors are, 
you know, when you're driving up to Thunder Bay or you, I guess you'll have yeah, to fly yeah, down flying. there. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be flying down there, yeah. but, uh, you can't schedule, like we can't schedule all the walkthroughs on one day because people yeah. are all over the place. It's whenever their schedule allows for, it's not like simply just a two, three hour drive down. So yeah, yeah, no, completely get it. And in terms of your flip, the rot droppings, does that make a significant difference given that it's like, is someone possibly put in a, a sight unseen sort of situation or not not really um no i, I and it's it's interesting like this is why like i always kind of say you know use a local realtor to that area um there's huge like this is in chesley ontario right so there's huge uh negative um like a negative perception of people that try to induce like a bidding war right so like when i was talking to the realtor in my case like what do you think we like to list this at what do you think we can get for it right so we're like okay like we'll probably get like 485 or something like that he's like you, know, you might be able to get a little bit north and i was just like the five or 10 grand isn't going to make or break it for me. It's more so like, just get out of it like fast. Right. And, and so he was, I was just like, okay, so like if we're targeting 485 or whatever we're targeting, um, what do you think we should list it at? I was expecting him to say like 449 worst case, like if he's really trying to do a bidding war, like 399. Right. But like 449 made a lot of sense. It means like, look like a lot of realtors, they just won't fuck with the bidding war in Chelsea. They're just like, forget it. Like they're just like really tired of that kind of stuff. And they just won't like clients are really tired of it as well. So we ended up listing it for 484999 or whatever, right? Like right at list price. And it's kind of one of those markets where things could very easily take like a little bit over a month to sell. Like in today's world, it's a little bit different, right? But um, it's not really one of those sight unseen, like crazy, like hectic kind of markets. It's more so a little bit more level. Like a lot of like sales prices are within like $5,000 range or whatever it was listed at, right? So you just got to know your local market. And um, yeah, there's only so many buyers. So we didn't, we just didn't want to take the risk of like, getting a bad rep for the property. So we were like, let's just take it down. Let's get a pest control in there to see if there's actually a rat problem. If there is, we'll address it. If not, um, then at least, you know, someone's fucking with us or it's just like a random like dropping or something like that. Um, and then we yeah, maybe the other realtor just dropped it in there. That's, use it that's as what I'm saying. No, <laughs> no one else is buying this house. I'm just going to leave yeah. some, leave a little bit of poop on the fucking heart. We're, we're finally <laughs> wrapping up our flip project. Actually, yeah. um, this is done though. Man, just so, yeah. So it was just full of delays. Um, next week we're having a stager go in there. We're paying about, I think it was like five or six thousand dollars, which is actually yeah, pretty cheap. That's a big house, isn't it? It's a twenty five hundred square feet house. I was expecting ten grand uh, for staging cost, but yeah, I mean, pretty affordable. We're not doing everything from top to bottom, but pretty much the main rooms. And the stager pretty much said themselves that you definitely do need to stage this house because the space is too big that when people walk in, they're not going to know how to make it flow properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hopefully get a positive ROI on that. But nonetheless, we'll we'll jump into the podcast today because yeah. I'm sure we can keep on going on and on with updates. In today's podcast episode, we have a very special guest today, Thomas Lorini. Thomas Lorini is an extremely experienced real estate investor. Pretty unique, actually. I think he's probably the first person we've ever interviewed from the States. So he's US-based, lives in California, but he actually invests in Ontario. So he has multifamily buildings. He has Airbnb business model buildings. He has wholesaling. He has a ton of different businesses in Ontario. And on top of that, he does development projects in California as well. He actually got his real estate journey started off in Ontario. We talk about everything from long distance investing, opening up your mindset, scaling up. This is an episode you do not want to miss out. I'm very inspirational, so make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined with our very special guest, and we've delayed having you on, but it's about time you're on the podcast, Mr. Thomas Lorini. Thomas, how's everything going, man? Going well, guys. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thomas is halfway across the country, I guess, not even our country, but yeah, he's, uh, he's in a much sunnier <laughs> state right now. Uh, but Thomas, for any, anyone that doesn't know you, um, and myself and Austin have followed your journey, but for anyone else that hasn't, uh, why don't you give everyone a quick introduction of yourself? 
Sure, absolutely. So my name is Thomas Lorini, uh, born and raised in Toronto. Um, background is mechanical engineering. I was in manufacturing for about 20 years, kind of grew up in it. My dad had a machine shop growing up. I uh, purchased my first rent, actually my first property in 2004. I was a property in, in Aurora. And at that time, I was single, pre-married, no kids. And that if I, I house hacked it, put a pen in the basement, covered my mortgage, that, uh, that sort of thing. And then from there, I always thought about, you know, getting into more real estate. But, you know, I didn't know anyone who was doing real estate. I didn't understand, you know, the, the game, how to, how to start, you know, progressing. But what I did was I ended up uh, joining Rain at that time in 2011, and from there I was just that environment, being around people who were doing it, quickly built a team. You know, I start, you know, met a realtor who understand investment properties, who was investing himself, found my lawyer who was investing himself, you know, the lenders and so forth. So I joined. I think it was in January. Picked up my next property. A few months later, it was a duplex in Hamilton. So that's kind of like where my journey of investing started. That duplex. Really kicked my butt, honestly. Uh, I had all kinds of challenges with that first property, from getting taken for a ride by the contractors, to getting you know bad tenants initially because I was doing it all myself. But it was definitely a learning curve. So from the, after about a year and a half, I said, "Okay, I figured this out. I think I want to continue," and uh, slowly started adding to my portfolio. Uh, next property was a single family, and they picked up a couple condos. And then the idea of moving to the States was always the background. So for those who don't know, my wife's originally from California. Um, she moved to Canada uh, when we got married. So the first five years of our marriage were in Toronto. And then the idea of moving there was always there. And uh, we ended up transitioning uh, it was 2014. Sold the business, transitioned, moved to California. But the whole thing was I built a pretty solid team. So definitely want to recommend you all like, you definitely got to surround yourself around good people, you know, and wherever, you know, wherever you're starting, um, you can't do it all yourself. So start, you know, building that solid power team, which, you know, I'm sure you guys have shared and many other people have shared, you know, who those individuals are. It's four or five people, uh, with certain, you know, skill set. And as long as they're investing, they understand the investing world, you know, that, that's key. So I'm in California. What am I going to do now? You know, I'm in a new environment. I have no credit, no history. I'm not in the system. So, I realized I'm like, all right, it's going to take a while for me to really be able to start, you know, purchasing and building over here. I didn't know anybody. So I said, well, why don't I just continue investing back in Ontario? And that's how things kind of organically grew, where I was forced to, you know, I wanted to scale. I was in California and I realized, well, you know what, let me pick up the phone and start making phone calls. Let me start connecting with different people and see if I can do it. And sure enough, you know, I realized I could. So, you know, it goes to show sometimes we are our worst enemies where we put that limiting belief or, well, you know what? I'm in a different country. I'm like, how can I do this over the phone? I have to go visit the property, I have to see the property, I have to touch it, I'm like, all that stuff. Where the reality is you don't. So that's what I ended up doing. I started, you know, purchasing more properties in Hamilton and um, eventually got to the point because I was a non-resident, I was not able to qualify for conventional financing. So I started partnering which was actually a forced way of kind of scaling because I started JVing with people. And that's what I ended up doing. I started doing some flips in Hamilton, started partnering with individuals and portfolio started growing that way. Then it was about 2017 where I started seeing the market was exploding in Hamilton. The price points were getting, out, getting crazy. So I said, I got to shift my folks and look, some, look at other markets. So I just kind of 
you know, naturally looked in other areas outside of GTA. I considered Barry. I looked at London, Kitchener, and I don't know, for whatever reason, Windsor came on the radar. At that time, you know, doesn't matter what website, what group, and no one was talking about Windsor. But I just thought, I'm like, wait, is it possible to find $80,000 single family still? You know, like $130,000 for duplex. So I'm like, all right. So I started doing research. I picked up the phone. I started, start, you know, just start dialing, calling property managers, realtors, uh, and started connecting with lenders in Windsor. And that's kind of how I just did it. And eventually I found uh, a realtor who was a property manager and I kept bugging him and I'm like looking for a deal. He said he had a client who owned like a five flex for like 30 years. I said, that's the one I wanted. So I ended up purchasing that through him off market. And that was kind of the start of building this portfolio of assets in Windsor. And then from, you know, from there, things have just progressed, you know, I've continued to invest in Windsor um, in other areas of, of the GTA. So obviously that was uh, a lot of acquisitions that yeah. happened. Just to summarize, what is your property count right now in Canada? Because they also know you have holdings in the States or projects in the States in Canada. Right. So how many right. units or properties? Um, in general, I mean, in terms of the unit count, it's around 70. Um, I've recently sold some assets. I'm in the process of selling some more. Um, it's interesting time. I, I, for the longest time, I've always been a buyer, never sold, never sold. And finally now I'm like, all right, I think it's time. And then you list one, like, wow, it's sold for that much. Hmm. Okay. Let me, let me try another one. So I'm in the process of renovating a few more that have held for a long time and, and selling them. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's around 70 units right now. And, um, you know, down here in California, um, what, I, for those of you who know, I'm a realtor, so I'm a licensed realtor in California. And uh, I do some investing in California as well. Uh, I was investing in Ohio, North Carolina a few years ago. It was more buy and hold. Um, and then ended up selling the, those assets since. And over here, my father-in-law is a builder. So right now we are in acquisition and development stage. And in the near future, start building some, some stuff built to keep. Apartments is our goal. So the goal is 1,000 units over the next couple of years to build and keep. Uh, between California, we've got a nice piece of property in uh, Tucson, Arizona, um, that we also are in development stage as well. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a few things going on all at the same time. I'm actually not even sure where to start. Um, so, <laughs> if we start with the if we start with the Ontario stuff that you got going on here, yeah. right? So we we talked about power team members. Um, you you talked about how you started off in that that property. I think you set out in Aurora, then you were doing Hamilton, and then Windsor, and and that was uh, in 2017. You started in Windsor. Um, what are you doing different today? Just partially because I know you guys are doing bigger buildings, right? And, yeah. and so like, how do you structure that growth? Cause right. Cause it is kind of a leap, right? You were doing, um, I, I think you ended off with, you, you did a fiveplex in Windsor in 2017 and then you went from there, but I'm sure like uh, now I see what you guys are doing. It is, is, is it a leap or was it kind of like organic small steps that you took to get? To, like, yeah. It's a great question. Like I see guys today and like in the first year they got 50 units and stuff. Right. So it's really remarkable. Um, for myself, it was more a slower progression. So that first property was a duplex. Didn't buy my next one until about almost two years later. And then the next one, maybe another year and a half later. And then I was like, wow, five properties? I'm like, this is crazy. You know, at that time, the idea of having carrying five mortgages and five properties, and I'm doing it in out of California, long distance, not being able to, and I'm self-managing. That's another thing. I didn't even hire a property manager because I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, I could do this. And sure enough, I'm like, you know, that's another whole other conversation where I believe I'm a firm believer, like certain things, I don't think certain assets, you don't need a property manager. It doesn't make sense. Um, other ones definitely want to hand it off too. 
so the, the, the progression was, you know, it was slow initially. And then it got to a point, and mostly buy and hold. So just buy and hold. And the idea of Burr wasn't even on my radar. It was like, all right, 20%, I got to put 20% down, you know, fix the property up and then just rent it out and just wait, wait, wait. So you had a ton um, of equity built in these properties too. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the, the plus side. You know, if you hold long enough now, like, you know, almost 10 years later, I'm like, wow. I'm like, all right, these are some nice nest eggs. And that was the thing, like, you know, back when I joined Rain, it's like just even one property, the whole, whole idea was just buy one asset, hold on to it, and in 30 years, it's paid off. You've got this nest egg sitting there for retirement. You can pass it on to your kids. You know, you can pull out of it or retire, whatever you need, retirement, that sort of thing. And sure enough, it's like, wow, I'm almost there. Some assets almost paid off. And it's like, all right, um, you know, uh, the cash flow may not have been there, uh, but now the equity is sitting there. So that's why I'm at the point now to kind of offload a few things uh, and reposition. But in terms of where I'm at today, so I went through this phase of acquisition, just buy and hold 20% down. Then I started JVing. So with JVs, you know, it got a little easier in terms of what I can do. So like we started doing some flips and that was easy. I just, you know, partner up with an individual who's local contractor or a friend who wanted to kind of do it, uh, put some money down, he put some money down and he would be more of a boots in the ground type of thing. I would just kind of maybe help with some resources, you know, talk to Steve, talk to John, you know, contractors I, I know from the, from the area and, uh, you know, maybe help to kind of tie in, do help with the, with the rentals. And then slowly, slowly from there, start getting to, you know, other deals. So I would say about two years ago, um, you know, I started expanding into the U.S. And then I was like, all right, that's good. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I can only spread myself in so many directions, right? Um, on top of I got three kids. So I'm, I got certain, you know, I got, I got balanced things. So for me, I, things just always kind of gravitate back to Ontario. I just had, number one, had a lot of assets, a lot of equity, a lot of contacts. You know, that's huge. Networking and contacts. I'm a big uh, proponent for that, you know, constantly talking to people. Um, social media is great for that. Definitely need to balance their, you know, posting and sort of, sort of thing. But at the same time, there's value in it. So the more I network, the more I can start talking to individuals. And then everyone's like, hey, I want to do something. I want to do something. All right. Well, then that's where I was like, all right, well, I can add certain value. I can maybe um, do negotiation, uh, find the, the actual you know, property. But then they would come in and be more like, again, boots in the ground, that sort of thing. So over the last year, you know, started partnering with individuals this past year, and we bought uh, a 22 unit in Cambridge, which we're repositioning. Uh, the motel deal with Aaron, that came up in February. Uh, I, that one, I spied that. It was on the MLS forever. And I kept seeing it, I kept seeing it. And I'm familiar with Grand Bend. I, my, one of my best friends lives in Grand Bend. I'm like, why is this motel still there? I call up Aaron, I'm like, hey, go check this property out. I, I think there's an opportunity there. Sure enough, he goes there and he's, like, yeah, I think this is a legitimate opportunity. And then sure enough, you know, we negotiate a VTB, you know, we bring it private first and we're like, wow, this was like a hundred percent deal, you know, through and through. Uh, we just brought in like maybe 20 grand each to do some windows and then things just start, you know, going from there. So that was a great deal. Um, and then, yeah, other acquisitions of recently, you know, again, partner with people. Maybe it's kind of to segue from there. A lot of times people reach out to me and they're like, Hey, you know, um, what do you recommend I do? I'm a newer investor. Um, what do I start? How do I do it? Or do I join a particular group? You know, they want to charge 30 grand, 20 grand. Like someone called me yesterday. You know, there's a group in Ontario and they want to charge 30 grand. Do you think that's a good idea? 
I mean, yeah, it could be a good idea. Like for myself, I gotta surround myself from people who are doing what I want to do. If it costs money, well, that's part of your education. That's part of being, you know, to learn and and, and uh, a faster pace than maybe just doing it on your own. Uh, at the same time, you know, I threw up this example. Six months ago, uh, I connected with a friend of mine. He saw me on Facebook. I hadn't seen him about 10 years. You know, he was like a work acquaintance. So, you know, we kind of like, you know, we, we go out for lunch when I was back in manufacturing. He's like, hey, I see you doing all this real estate stuff. I would love to do something. So, you know, we basically start chatting over the phone. And I certainly you know, learned that he had never really invested much in real estate. I think he had his principal residency and maybe had one rental in the past. He had sold it, but he wanted to really get into it. Didn't have a ton of money. So he was like, well, what could we do? So we start, I started identifying different, different options. I'm like, well, you know, if the lowest hanging fruit, the least amount of this, you know, uh, capital is wholesaling. And, uh, you know, kind of showing the ropes of high wholesale. And I was doing wholesaling, you know, over the last year on my own. And he was like, yeah, I can, I can do that. So I basically told him, I mean, Kijiji, mailers, you know, I give me a list of different things you can do. And this individual, like, he just went all out and he started doing it. And soon enough, he's bringing me these deals. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? I'm like, wow, this is great. So from there, you know, we purchased an amazing Aplex uh, just outside of Ottawa. Great deal. I mean, that deal alone, like we actually got paid 60 grand by the sellers to close. Um, that was just one of those rare situations, which probably would never happen again. But, you know, it all just grew because of this individual listened, took some action. And, you know, sure enough, things just start progressing from there. So that's one of the things I tell people, I'm like, you know, you can join a group network and surround yourself on people who are doing what you want to do and things will happen. I think you're right that the networking part is a part that a lot of people don't have, right? Like, I think if I look at myself before, like I was like, I, I, I met all these like different real estate investors from going out. It wasn't like I was surrounded by like friends that even had like two or three properties, right? Like I was that like guy that had like a, a couple of properties, right? But to me, it was a lot, right? But then you, when you get into this community, you go, I've got nothing, right? Like, like I could do so much more, right? And, and so I think you're right. And I think some people just need their eyes open to that. But for sure, like even from your, your perspective, like leveling up does take a lot of either it's guts or it's your own capital, right? Like what do you think is vital for someone to level up, right? Because I think even if like I look at my own portfolio, like I've gone as high as nine plex, but like now to me, the next step is I go for that like 10 to 15 unit, like next challenge, mm -hmm. right? But that's now something that either needs a lot of my own capital or a lot of private debt, or I don't really want to do joint ventures and stuff like that anymore. Right. So um, what do you think is the main hurdle that stops people from leveling up um, and how do they get past it? Is it a coaching program or is it more so you really just need the balls? Like, is that what it is? Yeah, like, I, I don't think it's rocket science, guys. I mean, if you're yeah, buying a yeah. triplex and you want to go buy a 20 plex, I mean, it's not like a huge step in the amount of work involved. Sometimes yep. I find the smaller deals suck so much time and energy out of you. And it's like, I didn't have like, it's not worth it. That's what I was doing in Cleveland. I was buying these single family houses and yes, 1%, 1.5% rule and stuff. But I'm like, all this for like 300 bucks a month. I'm like, I don't know. And there's no appreciation on top of it. I'm like, it's just, Forget it. I'd rather just do one big deal a year than doing like 50 small deals. And that's what was getting more selective. So yeah, maybe some balls, yes. But at the same time, it's like just sitting back and say, okay, do I not understand the process? Okay, let me understand the process of acquiring an apartment building. And then you soon realize, okay, well, it's very similar to buying a small multi. Maybe it requires more capital. Maybe there's a few little different nuances. But then what's, what's holding you back? Is it the capital? Well, then go find the capital. 
is the asset. We'll go look for the deal. You know, I just assigned an apartment deal yesterday and it was like a sweet deal. Like I negotiated this deal through and through, put it out there. And everyone's like, well, I don't know. Like, well, you know, they're, they were like overthinking it. And I was like, I do the deal, but you know, there's a considerable amount of, of improvements that need to be done. I'm not local and I, and I don't want to partner in this particular deal. So I said, you know, the best scenario is for me to sign it. I think the individual who I signed it to, I'm like, he's going to get a solid deal. Like the amount of, again, negotiation I did, I kind of laid this up. I even got the price down the last, you know, basically in the, in the last inning um, to make it even sweeter. But the point is that what's holding you back? What's holding back? Identify that. I think just something in the mindset of like, oh, apartments, it just, it's kind of scary. It's just bigger numbers, extra zeros. And that kind of like puts people ex- set back. Well, $5 million, $3 million, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's identifying, you know, is it the, is the capital? Is it the, is it the actual deal itself? And overcoming that. And just making some offers. Start with making some offers, bigger things. You know, most likely you may not get the deal. But just start by, by doing, enabling those habits, just like building up the muscle. And as you get custom putting deals out there for two, three, four, five million dollars, eventually something's going to happen. And then you're going you're gonna to get an accepted offer. If you could put condition, like the likelihood of apartments that make you have conditions, which is great. You don't have to go firm from day one. So now you've got conditions, you've got time. So like that one, the last, that Aplex we purchased in Ottawa, I don't know where the money was going to come from. He brought this deal, made an offer. Got accepted. All right, now we need about 200,000 bucks, right? I'm like, Nick, do you have 200,000 bucks? He goes, no. I'm like, all right, don't worry about it. So I just kind of like made a few phone calls within like a couple of days. One, one person was like, I got 160 grand. I'll, I'll, I'll partner in with you guys. Beautiful. So I didn't have to solve everything, every step initially, right? Just start, put the offer out there, get an offer accepted. Then the next step is look for the capital. Again, you want a JV, you don't want a JV, fine, but you need capital yourself to refi one of your own properties and use that equity. Is it borrowed privately? However, just solve the problem, but don't just solve it all initially at the same time. Just take it in bites. Yep. Or you get stuck just waiting there trying to solve everything and, and you just don't yeah. take action, right? Yeah, that's perfectly fair. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that end. So it seems like you're doing a lot of creative joint ventureships. May I kind of dive in and ask, like, how are you structuring these uh, JVs? Because you are doing it with several partners and you are doing it with several markets while being long distance. Um, is it like different for each operator? Can you yeah. give us an idea? Yeah, every every deal has its own uh, company. So we establish our own company. The partnership, the splits are all is a JV agreement, partnership agreement in, an, in its own um I want to say LLC, but it's own incorporation over there in Ontario. In the States, we set LLCs, um, you know, and it's just another type of entity holding you know, a company uh, that determines the ownership. And then from there, everyone's got their own, you know, their own part. What do they do for the deal? Um, so, yeah, again, it's not rocket science in terms of taxation, that sort of thing. Like I filed taxes in both U.S. and Canada because of my situation. But, you know, if you're curious, talk to a CPA, talk to one who's like, Will be able to help help you understand. Well, if I'm gonna buy this property with Joe and that property with with you know John, I'm like, okay, what do I need to know? Like, is there something that may have long-term implications, or is it just simply, well, it's a partnership? So just follow the stipulations of your JV contract, right? And then in JV, you can put whatever you want to put in there. Yes, there's a blanket template, but you can work and you know and change it as you see fit. 
It visits a different split structure. It's a different responsibilities. If it's a different exit closet, all those things, you can customize it for that particular deal. But yeah, each one separate. Each asset's got its own bank account. Try to keep as clean as possible. You know, everything kind of separate. So, so Thomas, I guess that's kind of a good segue into my next question that I had for you. So uh, you've got your hands in a good number of different businesses, right? Whether it's like, and you've got different partners as well, right? You got a good size portfolio in Ontario, in California, different states and so on. And you've done all these like flips and you've done um, like the motel project, you've done multifamilies. So multiple different businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so are you like, how do you structure your business and, and how does someone grow on that, that perspective, right? Because it's not like, hey, I'm doing all like, I'm, I'm a realtor and I'm just selling like 10 different properties. Right which are kind of the same business model. This is like legitimately different business models, right? Um, So how do you structure that? And what type of partners do you need that basically enables you to do that or systems? Yeah, it's a great question. See, I didn't go initially with like a very focused kind of strategy. Like some people are just doing Airbnb and that's it. That's their game plan. That's great. Become an expert in that particular segment. I think me moving, it kind of like, it forced me to kind of like, change a little bit. Maybe initially I was more buying whole and I was doing that. And if I lived in Toronto, I probably would continue just maybe picking up a property a year, one or two a year, and that's it. And that would have been my thing. But as you get experience, and because I was long distance, I had to try different things and partnership because I wasn't able to qualify for the mortgages, traditional mortgages. I said, well, you know what? I'll partner with people. And that kind of opened up my eyes to JVs. And, you know, so far it's been great, like just to kind of scale. But from there, I hear, oh, people are doing wholesaling. I'm like, well, you know what? I can't do wholesaling. I'm in, I'm in California. I'm like, you know, the market investing is Ontario. I'm not going to be able to have people call me or go visit properties. But I just gave it a shot, just kind of like as, a, as a, almost like a, just try and, and see if anything happens. And wholesaling has been this whole other arm of, of investing and a revenue stream for myself over the last year and a half. I think I probably wholesale about five or six million, maybe $6 million of of assets over the last year and a half, totally like on the side and totally different than how most people are doing. I'm not doing mailers. I'm not doing door knocking. So people are like, how are you finding opportunities? Well, I'm finding definitely different than what most people are doing, but it's working, right? So again, why? You know, it's like, well, I'm a realtor in California. Yes, but you know, I've been investing for so long. And as I try something, you know, things just start happening and you're like, well, let's give it a shot. Like I use the wholesaling example. It's not like it's sucking up a lot of my resources in time. Ultimately, the way I'm doing it, you know, most times I partner with individuals and it's just been a great kind of situation and it's been great. You know, amount of time and energy and the return on it is like tenfold of some other deals I'm working on. Um, so Yes, at this point, you know, I'm still acquisition mode, growth mode. But as I slowly offload things, I may start tweaking, you know, my, my focus, especially now locally. We're under contract. And actually, today is going to be an important meeting to see if we get the financing. Um, you know, it's a $50 million deal we're working on right now over here locally. And if we get the proper financing, then this will be a two year project where we're going to be building it and selling type of thing. And that's where kind of like where I'm, I'm, I'm eventually going, I mean, focusing towards. Yes, I'll do the individual asset acquisitions. Yes, I'll, I'll do wholesaling, but, you know, new construction, land development. I've seen kind of like how my father-in-law has done in the development world. It's pretty fascinating. But 
highly risky, you know, but the, the type of deals that he's been able to negotiate, it's amazing. I'll give you an example. So like how he's done deals, which, you know, for me, it's again, it's been great to be exposed to that. He'll go to a landowner and say, listen, how much do you want for your 30 acres? And the guy's like, oh, I want $1 million. All right, great. I'll give you a million dollars in three years from now. I'll actually give you $1.1 million in three years from now. But we'll open escrow, but we won't close until, you know, until, two, until three years. Uh, I'll give you down payment and I'll release you money every month. And it's firm. It's, um, it's non-refundable. And, but I get to do what I need to do. So the landowner is like, all right, it's a piece of land. Maybe he's a farmer. He continued using the land for what he, for, he does, but he's under contract to sell this in like three years to close. What that does is give the, now the developer the time to spend his capital on the development of the property. So instead of spending $3 million to close, he's got his open escrow he's under contract for, now he's going to do the work. He's going to spend maybe $100,000, $300,000 on the development. If that's architectural, engineering, environmental, all these studies, gets all that done, pushes it through the city, goes through city council, gets all these different you know, uh, uh, comments, feedbacks, change orders, whatnot. But at the whole game plan is at three-year mark, now you got something that's been approved for like maybe 50 homes, maybe an apartment, whatever. And now you increase that value like tenfold. So A, you can sell it to a builder or B, you can, you can actually develop it and build it yourself. But that's just kind of like, that was like, when I saw that, I was like, that's pretty cool. You know, it just kind of gave me the idea. I'm like, all right, so you don't have to necessarily close. The seller's happy. He's getting more than what he probably would get now. He's in no rush. And for you, Purchasing it, I'm like, you know, you don't have to come up with all the capital. You have the time. You spend your money on the actual work. Is there a risk? Yes. You know, all your money that you spend could potentially go down the drain. If you can't close, if you can't get the right approval, if you can't hit the three-year mark, it doesn't work, done. You know, it may be like, it's not going to give you any more extensions. And then you're like, okay, I just spent a couple hundred grand down the drain. But the risk-reward is huge. Is he doing anyway. it as like, a, as like an option to buy at the end of three years? Or are you saying it's like a... No, you had actually under contract. Mm, so you got he's got to close it either way, whether or not these drawings and and city planning. Yeah, you got to close it or what? Or your deposit's non-refundable. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, he's releasing money any month, every every month, anyways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like an option, but actually, you're under contract. That's the thing. Like our contracts, everyone thinks 30 days, 60 days. Push some of those numbers out. Yeah. Like just think outside the box. I'm seeing a lot of creative strategies and solutions you're having here with the motel that's been sitting there forever, VTB, Airbnb, right? Things that other people don't see with this, um, I guess this kind of land development, if you may, um, yeah, like push the closing three years from now, give deposit, give monthly fixed payments, and then you're able to finance it by three years once it's all fixed and done up, right? So totally understand that. That's amazing. It seems like one thing that you really nailed down and correct me if I'm wrong is there's a book called who, not how, and you're working with operators, people who have very niche specialty in a specific area, and you're just bringing kind of the network. As you mentioned, networking is your is your niche, your specialty. You know the people with capital. You know the right partners. You know A, B, and C. So you're helping put the other people in place and working with operators to actually execute. Am I, am I getting that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I don't pretend to know everything, but... It's definitely important if you can bring different individuals who know more, who are specialized, like you mentioned, operators, and they do their thing. I'm like, wow, I will be able to 
like leverage their skill set, you know, and be able to grow at a pace I would never have been able to, or do something I would never be able to. Like small examples, the Airbnb, I partnered with Aaron in the last year. I'm like, could I have done it myself? Yes. But by partnering with him, now we've been able to scale at such a pace that it's like, it's just way faster. And for myself, like to learn that and to be able to, you know, be involved in that, it'll be take up too much time and resource and energy. So yeah, it's definitely important to kind of like bring in not just your power team, you know, the realtor and the lender, but also the network to be able to glean because you may have someone in your group who's doing new construction in Toronto. Well, I'm not doing that. Like, you know, you may not be doing that, but them doing that can open their, your eyes and say, Hey, maybe there's an opportunity here. You're, you know, you have a deal in your lap. Like this is before I'd be like, same thing with wholesaling. I just kind of like, I can't do this and just kind of like brush it off my desk and look for another deal that I could do until I got to the point like, why can I do it? You know, is it because I don't know the individual who's doing it? Maybe bring in people and you're like, wow, okay. I bring in so-and-so and all of a sudden this happened. So yeah, definitely want to leverage and, and bring in people like operators uh, where everyone ultimately great to be around a group and do, be able to win together. It's one thing when you're, you're just a solo operator, a solo investor doing it on your own, but it's kind of fun when you're with other people and you're kind of growing together and it's a win-win. I think that's a natural evolution for investors from joint ventures, right? So I, I think as investors, like we go through this period of, okay, we're going to do a bunch of JVs because like that's our only way to grow, right? And then eventually we go, fuck it, we're not doing JVs anymore. <laughs> we just get like annoyed and we're just like, we're not doing this anymore. And then we start doing things ourselves. And then time becomes like super valuable for a lot of us, right? Where it's like, well, there's only so many things that I as an as individual could do on my own, right? And that's where you, you go back to the JV model, but it's not really a, a traditional capital investor, passive investor, whatever model. It's more so like, we just need operators where we can like, I'm more than happy to pitch in capital. Like that's, and like my expertise or whatever, like that's fine. But I need someone right. that'll actually like, go check up on the house and like do some stuff. Right. So um, that makes a lot of sense, Thomas. Like, I, I think it's a great business model. And yeah. And, and thing the deal doesn't have to always be 50, 50. If someone is doing considerable amount more work than you, I'm yeah. fine taking 25, 30% of deal. Yeah. You're doing all the work. You putting money into the deal as well. I maybe found a deal, maybe I'll negotiate, put some money into it as well. But you know what? I'm fine because this idea of it's got to be 50 50, or I need to have controlling of the other thing. I'm like, that's a limiting belief. But it's not going to be the last deal. There's going to be more yeah. deals out there. So I'm just all about win win, grow fast, faster pace, and things will scale. Everyone's happy. And, and that's a smaller piece of a bigger pie than having a bigger piece of a smaller pie. What I find quite phenomenal is, is that despite you being hours away from the market that you primarily invest in, you still have those networking connections. For example, you hosted a networking event. We're just talking about this before we jumped online. Um, seven, eight people were supposed to come out, like 50, 60, 70 people showed mm -hmm. up, right? And that right. just goes to show the power of networking. So how do you continue with networking with people being so far away? Because I know with the pandemic going on, a lot of people miss that face-to-face -face interaction. Well, you yourself barely had that face-to-face -face interaction to begin with, right? <laughs> because you're so far away. So right. how did you go about uh, networking uh, at such a long distance and still building meaningful relationships? Ultimately comes down to giving value. So people already know if someone's taking advantage of them, if they're wasting their time, if they're full of crap. What I've, I tend to do is I utilize social media to A, show what I'm doing, B, show I'm a real person, B, build credibility. It's huge. 
And from that, people DM me all the time. I'll take the time and interact with them. I will take a call. Whereas other guys are like, oh, it's got to you know, set up a coaching call and it's got, you know, I got charged for it, you know, whatever, so much for an hour. For myself, because I'm in real estate 100%, I can, I mean, an extra phone call here or there is fine. And I, I enjoy it. You know, number one, I get to learn with the individual. I get to pour in my experience, share my stories. And from there, the person feels like, wow, okay, this person actually gave me some time and value and so forth. I think me just, yes, sharing social media, but actually the DMs, the the one-on-one time, and even if it's like a 10-minute conversation, people really appreciate that. Like later today, I'm going to be going for lunch with Danish. Danish is someone that was at the meetup. I'd never met him in person until that meetup. He's visiting California because he's got his wife's family has some, you know, some family here in California. So we're going to grab lunch today. But why this all started like a year and a half ago, where he reached out to me asking some pointers about buying a duplex. I ended up helping him put him some, in touch with some people and he ended up buying a duplex in Hamilton. And then, you know, and he's Airbnb and now he's on to his next property and so forth. So he appreciated the help I did for him and he remembered it. So like, and that's the whole thing, guys, you got to give back, you know, and that's why I host, um, you know, the rewa, um, you know, the, the talks, uh, it's not even, even like a real podcast. I just feel like interviewing people and just have, having them share their story, exposing them to the uh, wider audience. They get, you know, recognition. I'm just asking them questions like you guys are doing. They feel good. They appreciate that. And it's just, it's just a cycle of just like, just good stuff. It's a fertile soil. And you get that ultimately it takes time, it takes years, but you get that kind of quality name and credibility ultimately. Yep. And for anyone that's wondering, that's all we're doing with the podcast, right? It's really just provide value to our listeners, provide value to our guests, right? Um, and, and that's all we've been doing, I think, on social media as a whole, right? It's kind of like a values first approach. Like I've got realtors that I've recommended people to that I haven't done business with in months, but I know if at any point I decide to turn back the switch and go back into that market, Hey, like, how's it going? Right. And like, right. hopefully they'd be willing to service me. Right. So, um, yep. that's awesome, Thomas. So I think generally at this point in the episode, we like to ask our guests kind of like three questions about, um, about themselves, just to get a, a deeper understanding. Sure. So Thomas, like where, where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? And I think that'd be an interesting answer because you've got all these different business models. I'm also like, you know, what do you, how do you see the business side kind of growing and what's next or what's your goals? I know we talked about development too. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I've really penciled it down. I've, I've set goals more like medium term, short to medium term, like five years is kind of like a long segue. I look back in the last five years and I'm blown away. I'm like, wow, a lot has gone on in the last <laughs> five years. So who knows in the next five years what's going to happen? I do think ultimately I do got to slow down at some point. You know, I do have a family, young kids. I need this kind of quality of time. They're at a point where they're growing up. I want to spend that time because soon enough, they're going to move out. So I do have to get to a point where my time is more balanced. So what does that mean? Perhaps it's not like as diversified as now. Perhaps it's like selling a number of assets and utilizing capital for like more passive investing. If it's lending if it's you know um you know everyone's going the options route i'm just thinking of that most likely in five years from now you know i'm gonna be you know right now i'm 44 i'm gonna be pushing 50 at that point so i gotta kind of consider that all right you know young family i gotta balance my time so that's what i'm thinking 
will it happen? I don't know. You know, I mentioned that goal of having a thousand units, you know, um, with my father-in-law in the next couple of years. I'm like, if that plays out, great. That's one thing. Like when you're long, I, mean, I enjoy real estate, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that's like a disease. It's always on your mind, right? <laughs> so definitely uh, need to find some, some balance. So I think in the next five years, that's kind of like where my head's going. Comes like an addiction, right? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> it's, it's literally real life Monopoly. You know how people play Monopoly yeah. and take it way too seriously? And you can play yes. for hours. That's actually, that's such a good analogy because you play it for like an entire night and like no one's tired. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome, uh, Thomas. So second question here is if you won $10 million, you had seven days to spend it and you cannot spend it all on real estate. How would you spend it? 10 days? Seven days. Sorry, seven days, $10 million. <laughs> yeah, wow. a lot of money. It's a lot of money in a short period of time. Um, definitely travel. You know, uh, two years ago, I took my family, my parents to Italy. We did 10, a month and it was amazing. Just the experience of being in another part of the world and just the culture and just being totally disconnected from any work investments and just being able to just suck it all in. I think traveling would be huge. With $10 million, you can take it to the next level, private jets, you know, the top notch hotels, and you can bring in a bunch more people. So maybe instead of you know, me and my parents, maybe it's like 50 or 100 of my closest friends. And we just kind of like go all out. And, you know, it's like a week of like all, in, all out intense kind of enjoyment, just experience, you know, different cities and just traveling, bouncing around, full catered. I'm like, this is just kind of top of my head, but that'd be kind of a fun thing, right? You know, going with like a large group of people, you know, multiple jets and just kind of like uh, experiencing, you know, just life. Ultimately, like, well, why do we do this? We got to think about that. Like, yes, it gets addictive to the next deal, next deal, make money, but then money just sits there. I mean, or it's reinvested. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just something, but (laughs) Why do we do this, right? Sometimes we get so caught up into it, and it's like six months, a year go by, and it's like, okay, hustle, hustle, hustle. I got money now. Now what? I'm not doing anything with like for my life to really help myself or other people. So you gotta really consider that. Um, and so at some point, it's like, heck, I'm gonna go spend some money with my family. Let's go enjoy. It. Let's do something with this money, or I'm gonna give back. Let me help some other people and better their lives just to give more value to, to do something with this capital. So it's not all about just hoarding it and just having extra zeros on your, in your bank statement. You know, that's not the game plan. Very true. Very well put, man. <laughs> um, so, so Thomas, if you were to have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Ooh, someone. It's a good question. Um, Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, uh, he's alive and, uh, obviously, yeah, besides being the president, I mean, he's done some extraordinary things in real estate. I read some of his books. Maybe just, he's an interesting guy just to kind of sit down with him, pick his brain and kind of have him share one-on-one some stories or maybe things he hasn't shared with the public about how he's done some deals. Cause he's one of those people with creativity to the next level. You know, he's, Yes, he started with some money, but he's been able to do and just kind of transform New York and how he's made tons of money, lost money, made money. That's that's interesting for me. You know, it's one thing to grow constantly upwards, but it's another thing to meet someone who's made a lot of money, lost a lot of money and made it up again. Right. Um, and hopefully none of us have to go through that. But someone who has and be able to grow far higher than their previous high, I mean, that's something. Yeah. So I think a lot of people give criticism when people start with money 
And now they're like multimillionaires or billionaires, but you got to give them credit where credit's due. Like if you give most people 100, 200, 300,000, 500,000 dollars, they can't do anything with it or they won't take it very far. So you got to give kudos to people who take whatever they have and are able to stretch it into millions, like 10x the money that they have. Right. Um, So totally understand that. that that wraps up the end of our podcast, Thomas. Really appreciate you jumping on, man. You are a wealth of knowledge. And I think no matter what your experience level is, you bring it back to the basics, creativity and networking, right? That's what got you to where you are today, like being creative, networking, surrounding yourself with other investors and continuously learning and giving back to the community. This is what this podcast is all about. I know that's what you're all about as well. So really appreciate that. If people want to reach out to you, connect with you, how can they do so? Sure. Basically, um, you can reach me on Instagram, Thomas Lorini one. Uh, that's my handle. I usually respond to DMs there. I'm also on Facebook and my own website or, you know, and my numbers is posted plenty of different places. Um, so feel free, DM me, message me and uh, I'll get back to you. But thank you guys. This is awesome. I appreciate you. Amazing, man. I thank you for jumping on and joining us. We're going to have to have another episode later in the future. There's just too much to unpack with you, given your wealth of experience. For those of you guys who enjoyed this podcast, like, subscribe, rate it, share it with a friend, do whatever you can to support it because it helps bring great guests like Thomas out here. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better.